So this week we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and the story of Joseph. If you got it, if you don't have it, that's all right. It's going to be on the screen right here behind me. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 1 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Or I like the way the King James Version says it. It says, fear not. Take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray tonight that you open up every ear, open up every heart, open up every mind to receive your word. Change us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said with me, amen, amen. And amen. Tonight we're going to be talking about the fear of others' opinions. The fear of others' opinions. Just by show of hands, how many of you have ever struggled with the fear of others' opinions? If you don't have your hand up, you may be struggling with the fear <laughs> of others' opinions. Yeah, I think this is something that like on, on some level we all really struggle with, we all really battle with. I think it even comes down to and it plays into uh, things that we wear, you know, when we dress. I mean, we look in the mirror and maybe you're thinking, you know, what are my co-workers going to think about my outfit? What are they going to say about what I'm wearing? Maybe it's even in what you drive. What are people going to think about, you know, what I'm driving in the places that we live? How many of you, even when you, when you post something online, I don't know if, you, if you've had these pictures that you, uh, that you take at like a family gathering, at like thanks, Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you literally have to show it around to every single person and get their sign off on the picture like because you're afraid to post it, especially with my kids. My kids all the time, they're like, Dad, why did you post that picture? Why did, why did you, I look, so, I look so goofy, my hair looks this. And I'm like, I thought you looked great in the picture. And they're, and they're mad because you, anybody, is it just me? It's, I know it's not just me. But too often we base our decisions on the fear of what others will think. Too often we base our decisions on the fear of what others will think. Let me give you uh, an example. I got married when I was 19 years old. And I didn't get married in 1940 where this was socially acceptable, okay? Like the 40s, that's, you know, 20s, they did that. Everybody's like, yeah, that's, that's completely normal. Um, I got married in the 2000s, all right? I was born in the 1900s, but I got married in the 2000s. And so this was not uh, a normal thing. And so as, you know, as we're getting married, as I'm, I'm thinking about getting married, as I'm thinking about getting engaged, you have people and you have others' opinions that are like, man, I don't, I don't know, dude, you're... You're 19. You, you really know what you're doing? Uh, are, are, you know, are you sure about this? Are, are you sure about this? And so I could have in that moment let what other people were thinking, let what everybody else was saying go, you know what? Hey, yeah, you're right. But listen, I found a good thing. And when you found a good thing, you better jump on it, right? 
And I was like, I can't, I can't let her get away. And at 19, we got married. And I got to say, it was the greatest decision of my life. But I had people in my life. I had people in my world. I had people in my ear that are going, you're too young. It's too this. It's too that. Listen, I knew that she was the one. I knew that it was the right time. And so 22 years later, here we are. We're still proving all of the haters wrong. Listen, it was funny, though, because when we got married, we were, we were kids, all right? And, uh, and so I go to book our honeymoon, and we used, we used a travel agent, and um, we're booking the honeymoon, and she's going through the things, and I get a phone call, and she's like, um, Mr. Darby, at 19, she called me Mr. Darby. She was like, Mr. Darby, um, there's a bit of a problem. I'm like, okay, well, what is that? They said, they won't let 19-year-olds cruise alone. I'm like, this is... I'm like, really? So we had to have our parents go on the cruise with us. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. So the workaround was that when we got to the cruise, we had to have our marriage license in hand that said, yes, we're married and it's okay to let two 19-year-olds on this boat by themselves unsupervised. But can you actually imagine that? Like, come on, mom, let's go. Let's, uh, let's cruise on our honeymoon. This will be fun. All right. So let's go back to our story. Joseph is betrothed to be married to Mary. She turns up pregnant. And what happens is that he then allows the fear of what other people will think of him to start forming and uh, pushing him toward, towards a decision that he knows is not the right decision. And so the Bible says that in his heart, he's made up his mind that he's just going to divorce Mary quietly. And scholars actually say that divorcing her quietly was the honorable thing to do, because according to law, if she got pregnant, they could have taken her out in the streets and they could have stoned her. So instead of putting her through the public disgrace, instead of uh, putting her to death, he said, you know what? He said, I love her. This is the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. So I'm just going to honorably, I'll, I'll just, uh, this will just kind of be something that we do. It'll be quiet. She can go away. She can have the baby. But in the process, in the process, he's already let, you know, the thoughts of what other people are, man, I'm going to be judged in the street. People are going to talk about me. What are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are all my buddies going to say about this? And rather than letting those, when, when he's in the process and, and he's going, these things are, are, are forming the decision that he's going to make, an angel appears to him and says the words, fear not. Fear not. God interrupts. He informs. He speaks to him. And just like we talked about last week, all of a sudden now the ball is in Joseph's court. Now he has a decision to make. The word of the Lord has come to him. Fear not. What has happened to Mary is of the Lord. And in that moment, he has a decision to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to follow the voice of God or am I going to listen to the voice of man? And I wonder how many times in our life when we face a crossroads, when we're at a decision that we know that God is asking us to do, a, a leap of faith, if you will, like what we talked about last week, I wonder how many times that we listen to the voice of others rather than listening to the voice of God. Because listen to me, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Can I say that again? 
Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Because what God says about you is far more important than what anybody else has to say about you. The hard part about today is that people will take to the internet and tell everybody what they think about you. They'll blast you on a post, leave a nasty comment on a church on a church ad. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we simply put an invite out there inviting people to church. And it's just me and Shannon sitting on the couch. We're, you know, smiling. Hey, we've got a church service. Your kids are going to love it, blah, blah. And then you open up the comment section. And what is it? It's, it's well, I know I never go to this church because women don't belong in ministry and blah, blah, blah. I really just wanted to comment back on there. In fact, I opened up the comment section. I was like, see, I am. But the Lord had to get me because I was about, boy, I was about, I was about five seconds from just firing off. Just, but the Lord got me. I said, you know what? We're going to have critics. We're going to have people that when they see what God is doing, when they see what God is doing through restoration, they're going to be mad. They're going to be offended. They're going to be whatever. But what am I going to do? I'm going to listen to the voice of God and continue to do what he's called us to do as a church. Because people are going to talk, but I'm more concerned with what God has to say about me than what people have to say about me. People's opinions are going to come and go, and they're going to have their opinions. But we are by no means perfect. But if I do what God says that I need to do, this is what I'm going to hear him say one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the applause of man. I'm not looking for the applause of people. I'm not looking for the pat on the back. I'm not looking for you didn't know. What I'm looking for is when I stand before Jesus that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran the race. You were obedient. You did what I called you to do. You did what I asked you to do. You ran the race. Well done. That's my goal. Because see, the the opposite is true. Because when you become obsessed with what people think about you, That's the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you. But the opposite is true. If I become obsessed with what God thinks about me, it's the quickest way for me to forget about what everybody else has to say about me. Listen to this, because others might say I'm unlovable, but God says I'm forever loved. Others might say that I'm scarred, but God says I am healed. Others say that I'm weak, but God says he makes me strong. Others say that I'm a sinner, but God says I am forgiven. Others say I'm abandoned, but God says I'm adopted. While others say I'm rejected, God says I am his. While they say I'm alone, God says that he is always with me. When they say that I am hopeless, God says because I am in him, I am hopeful. They may say I am purposeless, but God says I was created with purpose. Others say that I have failed, but God says I am victorious in Christ. When others say I'm lost, God says that he gives me direction. When others say I'm worried, anxious, or afraid, God says that I am peace filled. When others say I'm unhappy, God says I am joy filled. When others say I'm afraid, God says that I am powerful, loved, and I have a sound mind. And when others say that I'm nothing special, guess what? God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And if anybody ever says that you're worthless, guess what? God says that you are worth it. And that's the reason that he died. Come on, just for a second. Can we put our hands together for a God that has a 
word over our lives. I'm not going to listen to what the world says. I'm going to listen to what God has to say about me. So how do we live for God instead of living for people? So we all realize that in our life, we have this temptation that when God speaks, we're either going to listen to his voice or we're going to listen to the voice of others that would push us in the wrong direction. So how do we live for God instead of people? Number one, write this down. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. In fact, one day Jesus was was walking through a field, him and his disciples, and they're walking through a field of grain, and he literally picked a piece of grain off, and some of his disciples would pick a piece of grain off, and they would eat it as they were walking through the field. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, came to them and said, you're working on the Sabbath. They did this on the Sabbath. And they're like, you're working on the Sabbath. And they were trying to find anything and everything just to be critical of Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus was teaching in a home and, and he was preaching and sharing. And there was a man there whose hand was withered. And, and Jesus reached out and touched his hand and the man's hand was healed. Well, this happened to be on that same day, which just so happened to be the Sabbath. And the Pharisee said, how can you work on the Sabbath? And they had got so caught up in this religious mindset and they were jealous of what he had and who he was that all they could do was be critical of who he was and the obedience that he was walking in. And don't you know that if they were critical of Jesus, they're going to be critical of you. The Pharisees were bitter critics of Jesus. They used their religion as a camouflage to express their jealousy and rage against him. They were jealous of the anointing and the authority that he carried on his life. So since they couldn't be the man, they were going to criticize everything that the man did. Listen to how Jesus told it to us. In John 15, he said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, come on, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why it hates you. And if you're in a place of life to where you feel just people are turning against you, people are like, why are you going to that church on a Sunday night? Why are you getting so crazy fanatical about God? Why have you changed the way you talk? Why have you changed the way the things you listen to? Why, like, what, what is happening to you? If the world begins to hate you, it's because they hated him first. They hate all of the things that Jesus stands for. And so don't take it personal. Just go, you know what? I know that it's the God that's in me that's shining through me. And if you're going in a place and you're offending people because of the Jesus that's in you, I wouldn't be mad about that. But because it's just like this point says, look, if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not be ready to be used by God. Because when you're used by God, man, it's just, it's, it's going to offend some people. Why? Because they don't like what you stand for. So how do we live for God instead of people? Number one, you got to be ready to be criticized for your obedience to God. If you're not, you're not ready to be used by God. Number two, write this down. 
realize that extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Or extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. All Mary and Joseph did was say yes. All they did is say yes. An angel of the Lord appears to Mary. And what does she do? She says yes. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. He's going to put her away, divorce her. Angel of the Lord shows up to him. What does Joseph say? Yes. You know, I wonder what is on the other side of your yes. I wonder what extraordinary act lies on the other side of just an ordinary act of obedience, just an ordinary act of saying yes. Come on, can we say that again? We said it last week. Can we say yes together? Say yes. Yes. God, I say yes to you. I say yes to your will. I say yes to your purpose. I say yes to your plan. I say yes to obedience. I say yes to everything that you've called me to do. I say yes. Come on. What is it? What step of faith is it that God is asking you to do that you simply need to say yes? Because what I know is that we can complicate this whole God thing. I think a lot of times we think it has to be planting a church or starting a ministry, establishing a nonprofit, running for a public office. And look, if you're called to those things, man, that's awesome. But what about loving your neighbor? You know, the one that's rude, you know, the one that's ugly, you know, the one that, you know, that one. What if you simply love them? What about that coworker that has used you to to get to the next level? The one that has used you as a stepping stone to get where they, what if you simply love them like Jesus is calling you to love them? You know, the one that posted about you in the group chat or on your neighborhood uh, Facebook page, you know that? What if you simply love them? It's a simple act that might change their life. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. How many of you, the name Derek Williams rings a bell? Anybody? One, two, three. It's like three people in the room. Nobody else. Two on the front row because they're my (laughs) in-laws. But for most of you in the room, this name, it means nothing to you. But it was one man in my life that took just an ordinary act of obedience that led to extraordinary things in my life. It It was one man on a on a Wednesday night before we leave for beach camp that said, hey, I want to pay for your way to camp. And it was a free trip to beach camp that ultimately led me into a relationship with Jesus. And I wonder what just one act for somebody in your world, one ordinary act of obedience that could turn into something extraordinary for somebody else. And it starts with loving. Maybe it starts with just, where's this invite? Maybe it just starts with this simple invite right here. That you take this invite to work or you take it to somebody and you simply, look, this is a simple act of obedience. And, and you go to work and 
God is telling you to, you know, you've been praying and you know you need to invite this person and you're like sick on your stomach. You, you can't sleep the night before. You're just like, I'm going to invite them to church. Anybody ever experienced this? Don't lie. You know, you're like all night, you're like, they're going to, they're probably going to stand up and scream in my face and, uh, and rip this thing up and say, how dare you invite me to church, you know? And so you've got all these things running through your mind and you walk up and you invite them and then they come to church and then they find out, you know what? A relationship with Jesus is what I've been missing in my life all along. But it could be one ordinary act of obedience that turns out to be something extraordinary, just like it was for me. You never know the impact that you might make on somebody's life. Come on, somebody say amen. But if you're constantly evaluating, considering, and worried about what other people will think about you, you'll never take the first step. I love this story in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And then I said, this is the prophet Isaiah, he said, Here I am, send me. And I wonder how many times God has said, whom shall I send? Whom will go? We kind of stood back and we're like, looking around like, you're not me? You're talking to me? No, you're talking, you must be talking. You're not talking to me. No, God's going, no, I want to send you. I want to send you into your neighborhood. I want to send you into your home, moms and dads, to be the pastors and and the priests of your home. I want to send you to your family Christmas to be light. You're talking about, you're like, and you may be saying tonight, my dysfunctional family? Yes, God wants to send you. And you're like, can't you send somebody? No, God wants to send you. God wants to send you there so you can be the salt and the light. And sometimes extraordinary things will happen with just one simple act of obedience. So how do we live for God instead of people? Number one, if you're not ready to be criticized, you're not ready to be obedient. Realize that extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. And number three is this. Understanding that we will always give our best to what we value the most. Can I say that again? We will always give our best to what we value the most. So if we value people's opinions the most, what are we going to give our best to? People's opinions. But if I value God above everything... Where am I going to give my best? To God. If I value God above everything in my life, then I'm going, God, I'm going to listen to you. I'm listening to your voice. When you tell me to go, I'm going to step up just like the prophet Isaiah, and I'm going to say, here I am, God, send me. Because I realize that one ordinary act could do something extraordinary for my community. And what I know is that God has called us together to do ordinary acts that are going to make an extraordinary difference in our city. So watch this, verse number 24. What you value most is where you give your best. So when Joseph woke woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. Why? Because he valued the voice of the Lord in his life. 
And I wonder how many times God has spoken to us and because of fear, because of fear of what other people would think, because of fear of what other people would say, the the judgment, we didn't do what God told us to do because we were more concerned with the voice of someone else. May it be a, a, a parent or a loved one or a brother or a sister or a best friend or a coworker. And so in our minds, we'll play out a scenario of things they might say or, or do. And instead of just going, but if I follow God, what might happen? Right? We play all the what ifs of, of what everybody might think or say about us. Play out the what ifs of if I do this, what is God going to do? How is God going to use my act of obedience in somebody's life? If you value others, you're going to give your best to them and reject what God is calling you to do. Remember, God was inviting Mary and Joseph into a better life. That didn't mean a pain-free life. It didn't mean an easy life. It didn't mean a non-sacrificial life. It meant a better life. And let me just reinforce our mission. If you know it, it's simply building better lives. Because we believe that no matter where you're at in life, you could have everything, you could have nothing. The addition of Jesus makes it better. And Mary and Joseph find themselves with the addition of Jesus, and I can guarantee you it radically changed their world. We all need the addition of Jesus in our life. As the band comes back, let me ask you this question. What what is Jesus inviting you into that you keep telling him no? What does Jesus keep inviting you into that you keep telling him no because you're more concerned about being rejected, ridiculed, talked about, etc.? rather than what God would have you do. I'm going to close with this. James chapter 4. Read it on the screen with me. Just read along. You don't have to read it out loud. But listen to what this says. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry out your eyes. The fun and games are are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way. You'll never get back on your feet. This is the message translation. The NIV or New King James would say something like this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. They just kind of expounded on this a little bit, but when you tell the devil no, or people no, or opinions no, what you're saying is yes to God. Yes to God's plan. Yes to God's will. Yes to God's way. Yes to his anointing and calling and power and spirit at work 
you know, I got to say that the fear of, of, of what others think is one of those battles that I constantly have to battle and, and overcome, and especially as, uh, as a pastor. You know, you're all these, what are this? You know, if a guest walks in, you're going, what are they thinking? Do they like the service? Do they like the music? Is it too loud? You know, is it this? Is it that? And you go through all the things that in your mind and, you know, if they don't show up, you're like, why didn't they come back? Why didn't they? And so in your mind, you can go through all of these things and you can, it can, it can honestly, it can be crippling for a, for a pastor if, if you allow it to, or you just go, God, I'm doing what you called me to do. And I'm just going to continue to walk in that. And whatever else anybody else has to say, they say it. But God, I'm just going to hear your voice and listen to your voice. We're going to be faithful to do what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be, and execute on the things that you've called us to do. So come on, will you walk in that kind of faith and confidence with me? To go, no, I'm not going to worry about what everybody else say. I'm not going to listen to the voices of everybody else. But God, I'm going to listen to your voice. Come on, let's stand on our feet. And just for a moment, if you would, just close your eyes, bow your heads. And just take a moment and just, um, just talk to God in this moment. I think you probably know, like this, this message may have hit home with you. And you may even be right now, you know. In a moment like this, wrestling with, with what other people, man, what if I lift my hands in worship? What are people going to think? What if I lift my hand at the end of the service and I say I need Jesus? Like all of those things, they, they play in our mind. Come on, let's put out the thoughts of everybody else. God, I'm putting my attention on you. I want to value you most over everything else. I want to value you most over everything else, God your opinion, what you say about me, who you say that I am. You're right there. If there's anything, if there's been any time that you've listened to the voice of others rather than God's voice, maybe you just tell him, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. I repent, Lord. I'm sorry that I've let others' opinions influence me over your voice and your opinion. God, we just need you tonight. We need you tonight, God.